Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. So, Jeff, are you counting the days until you get your new Apple camera? No, no, of course not. I never uh, pay attention to the fact that I have four days and probably about two hours until my my new iPhone arrives. <laughs> yes, we're recording this on Tuesday the 13th. We're releasing it on Friday the 16th, the day the new iPhone comes out. We usually record 10 days before and we skipped so we would have the information about the new iPhone so we can tell you if you need to buy a new iPhone or not. Do you need to buy a new iPhone, Jeff? Oh, that's a good question. Um, need. The, the, the key word there was need. The key word is need. Uh, yes, I need to buy a new iPhone because I write about this. If I did not do this for a living, ooh, that's a really hard thing to answer. But actually, I would say probably yes because of the increased megapixels and a few. No, no, no. I said need, not want. Need is like you've got a oh. four-year-old iPhone. Need is your iPhone's broken or you don't have enough storage. Need is you simply can't use your current iPhone anymore. <laughs> okay, then no, not even exactly. remotely because I'm on the iPhone upgrade program that I get. Oh, it every okay. Year. See, I I did that for one year and it was too much of a hassle because you get to do it by mail, right? Yes. I, I'd have to go into a store, and it's just not worth the hassle. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, yeah. I hand my old iPhone down to my partner, so she has a more recent one. So, mm -hmm. so yes, we have both ordered iPhone 14 Pros. You've ordered the normal one. I've ordered the clown shoe size one. Oh, the Max. Yes. Max now, I had a couple Pro. of Maxes. The, I had the 8 Plus. I had the XS Max. And then I went back down to the 11 and then the 13. But basically... My eyes are such that I can't read a lot of stuff on the normal size iPhone without my reading glasses. And with the Macs, I can avoid using my reading glasses when I'm just sitting around. So, Yeah, no, that's definitely a consideration. Um, I, I still don't like the, the physical size of it. I just prefer the smaller size. But what's nice is that uh, this is a year where the camera systems are the same on both. So – that's a nice change. I, I hate the years. And it's funny that it sort of comes up like every other year, the Macs will have some better feature because there's more room for, say, an improved uh, stability. Yeah, I kind of think they're not going to do that anymore because it just fragments the product line. And what I've been seeing recently is some suggestions that the the iPhone normal and the iPhone pro product lines are going to separate even more. So – because last year there was no large size iPhone 13. There was a normal and the mini. Right. Uh, if they're going to keep a normal and a large on the two product lines, then they'll have to differentiate somehow other than surgical grade stainless steel so you can use your iPhone 14 to operate on someone. It happens every week. It's, it, it's an amazing <laughs> thing. I'm so glad I have my surgical steel. <laughs> So I want to say that the 48 megapixel main camera is a game changer for the iPhone. Is it a game changer so that somebody who has a 12 or a 13 Pro now needs it, going back to your need want? Well, it depends on how much they use their iPhone for photography. See, I don't use mine a lot. 
But now I'm thinking if I have a 48 megapixel iPhone, I can use this a lot more for photography. When I go out with my Leica Q2 monochrome, I've got a color camera in my pocket with the same resolution. And it, obviously the lens quality is not the same, but I'll be able to get the same level of detail with that little pocket computer. Yes. Now, I'm just going to tell our listeners that there are a bunch of giant asterisks that are floating in the air for everything that we just said. And we'll get into that because it's sort of not really a 48 megapixel camera, but it is, but you may not get it that way. And it is if you know how to take 48 megapixel photos. Well, yes and no. And and this is also one of the things that we just don't know yet because as we're recording this, we haven't had our hands on it yet. And so we just don't know, for example, what the quality of that 48 megapixel image is going to be because we've talked for almost the entire duration of this podcast uh, over the last few years about how it would be nice to have more megapixels because the the iPhone has been stuck at 12 megapixels for – Gosh, I don't know, a decade since maybe the iPhone 3 or 4? It was the iPhone 6X that went up to 12 megapixels. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so especially in photography where megapixels are such an advertised commodity, having more megapixels in an iPhone is seemingly going to be a really, really good thing. What we don't know is just by having more megapixels doesn't necessarily mean you get a better image. And that's well, what Apple we're says have to find it allows out. for an unprecedented level of detail. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me go back and and, and edit all of that because Apple says it's going to look great. So yeah, yeah. So they're saying it can shoot pro raw at 48 megapixels. We don't know if it can shoot raw raw. In other words, with a camera app that shoots raw, we don't know that yet. I would guess that that probably is the case. And so let's take a quick step back for people who don't follow Apple uh, events the way we do. Yes. Religiously taking notes about everything. <laughs> so in the iPhone 14 Pro, not the iPhone 14, uh, the sensor for the main camera, the wide camera, the 1X camera, can output 48 megapixels. Now, that sounds super impressive and we've talked about resolution in the past and how uh, having more megapixels is great just for the ability to, say, crop in and not lose a whole lot of detail. Fantastic. The problem is we're talking about smartphones and so even with a, a slightly larger sensor, which is what this is, we're still talking about a very tiny, tiny thing that's the size of your thumbnail and so just getting enough light onto each of those little photo sites for the, the 48 megapixels, that's a tall order. And so my fear is that, yes, you're going to be able to shoot 48 megapixel raw images, uh, Apple Pro raw images, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that 48 megapixel image is going to be any better than, say, a 12 megapixel shot by uh, just the regular camera mode. So the information I'm seeing is that the iPhone 14 wide camera, so that's the main camera, uh, it has a sensor that's about 21% bigger than the previous one. The sensor is said to be 1 slash 1.3 inches in width. And I just bang my head every time I try and figure out what they mean when they say this. There was an article in DP Review a few months ago saying they're all going to call it like this. I just want to know how many inches it is. 
right? Mm-hmm. Either give me give me the horizontal vertical or give me the diagonal or something. But they say it's 21% larger. Now, for four times as many pixels, that means the pixels are three-fourths of 21%, whatever smaller. <laughs> whatever smaller. Hey, we're writers. <laughs> we're not math people. <laughs> exactly. But no, the point is, the point is true. On my uh, Q2 monochrome, the sensor is a 24 by 36 millimeter, uh, you know, 35 millimeter full frame size. And you could fit probably 12 of those iPhone sensors on. No, let's say eight, six or eight. Yeah. 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 So are the, the photo sites good enough to get the same level of detail? I doubt it. But... They're better than what we had before if it's a little bit bigger, but it might not be better. But the 12 <laughs> megapixel photos could be better. But see, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of buts here. There's a lot of buts here. And so another thing that we need to point out as sort of ground information here is that uh, if you buy the iPhone 14 Pro and you're thinking, I'm going to shoot these massive 48 pixel images, who this is going to be great, and you're just using the regular camera modes, you're going to end up with a 12 megapixel image. Because what it's doing is a process called pixel binning. And so even though you have 48 megapixels on the sensor, it's taking groups of four and treating those as one pixel. Well, it's not actually treating them as one. I think it's taking the average of the four pixels to create that pixel. So it's not like the four pixels get the same amount of light necessarily. I actually found an article that, that I'll link that, just, that explains what pixel binning is and, and, and how it works. And so essentially it's it's treating four pixels as one pixel. Um, and, and that's why you end up with a smaller resolution. Now, the advantage to this is you're getting four pixels worth of light gathering ability to increase the amount of light that, that gets recorded. And what I don't know, and I, I've not been able to find this online, is what would be better? Would it be better to have this pixel binning where you have four pixels gathering light that represents one pixel in your final image? Or what if Apple just had a larger sensor that was still 12 megapixels with larger photo sites? So they would need an iPhone 14 Pro Max ultra big fat camera. They they would need at least a micro four thirds size uh, sensor. In fact, Micro Four Thirds doesn't go up to 48 megapixels either. So, Well, even take the same physical size of the sensor that's in the 14 Pro now, but just have fewer photo sites on it. I suspect you'd probably get slightly better image quality because you just have larger photo sites gathering light. The thing is, Obviously, Apple wants to be looking in the future. Megapixels as a marketing issue, if nothing else, is an important uh, aspect to be able to tout. And because this is Apple, I'm sure that by having much more data coming and being stored by that 48 megapixels, they can do a lot more with it with all the computational photography stuff in the pipeline. My guess is that – if you're able to shoot a 48 megapixel raw image, just just a straight raw, not processed the way pro raw is processed, that image quality will probably be a little gnarly, probably uh, noisy and in need of some help. I'm not so sure it's noisy, but what we need to understand is if you look at the normal Bayer filter array, you have red, blue, green pixels, right? And mm-hmm. here you're going to have four times as many pixels. You're going to have four red, four blue, four green. And so that means 
your 48 megapixels will have pixels that are repeating the same colors or close to the same colors, whereas it's very possible that it won't be able to shoot pure RAW that can be um, translated by another app. Though I'm sure that RAW Power is going to be able to do it because um, (laughs) our friend Nick Bot, he's really good at that stuff. So I think early on, we're not going to be able to use these photos. Just like with Pro RAW, so many apps didn't work with them or didn't know how to work with them. And we got all these reviews of saying, here's how it looks in Pro RAW. And they didn't understand that it wasn't working. So. The iPhone 14 Pro will use Pro Raw, and I think that's where it's going to make the 48 megapixels interpolating from the different things and copying and averaging out and and 18 trillion operations per second and all that. Yeah. I think part of this is Apple can now finally get into the megapixel race, uh, which I believe is is mostly marketing. Uh, Samsung, they – put out some ads this week that were uh, touting the fact that one of their cameras has a 108 megapixel camera, which sounds super impressive, except I believe that you will never get 108 megapixel resolution. It's just the way they do the pixel binning, but it, it just has that many, that many photo sites. But we're talking about Apple here. Apple always plays the long game. And so right. I think – this gives them a foundation for having more megapixels, for having more data that they can work with and run through their pipeline and will eventually or maybe immediately. But the idea is you'll get better images because they have more to work with and then next year's model could do even more and maybe the next year. Of course, year... because next year, this year's model is going to be crap and we're going to have to buy the iPhone 15 because it's even better. <laughs> I Isn't can't even the believe. Same every year? I can't even believe that, that that I'm going to spend this whole week using this garbage iPhone 13 I, Pro. <laughs> I know. My, I just want to throw mine away. If I wasn't handing it down to my partner, I'd throw it away. It, it's worthless now. But then I, w- I would have no phone until Friday. So let's talk about some of the other changes. Uh, because of the 48 megapixel sensor, they're able to have a 2x zoom. So on the iPhone 14 Pro normally or 13 Pro, you have the 1X, which is the main camera, the 0.5X, which is the ultra wide, the 3X, which is the zoom. You're going to have, you can always slide your finger on the thing to get to 2X, but that's a digital zoom. Now, when you go to 2X, it's an optical zoom where it's using half of the 48 megapixel sensor to create a 12 megapixel photo from 24 megapixels with a proper optical zoom. Wow. That was a really good, really good summary. <laughs> okay. It's confusing. But if you it think is, about it. but clever. If you think about it. So um, again, not to mention that I have a Leica Q2 monochrome, but on my Leica Q2 monochrome, <laughs> you have what they call, um, they're, they're digital crop modes. So you can press a button. It's a 28 millimeter lens. You can press a button to view it with a 35 millimeter crop, a 50 millimeter crop, and a 70 millimeter crop. So essentially, when you load the photos into certain apps, you'll see the cropped photo and you're composing in those crop lines. So the idea of using part of a sensor instead of a whole sensor is an excellent idea. On the Leica, you have all that data outside the crop lines and you can use it if you want, but the crop lines give you a way of of visualizing what you want to shoot instead of shooting and then cropping later. Yeah. And you know, the the key here is we're talking about optical zoom. And so you are getting that that extra telephoto reach, but you're not doing it digitally, which can make a huge difference. Now, 
going back to the quality of the 48 megapixels and then cropping that in, maybe the 2X won't be as sharp as, say, the 3X or the 1X. We'll just have to see. But I right. suspect the way Apple does things, they would not have made this a thing if they didn't think that it was good enough to become like an official optical uh, zoom button, right? They also would not have made the studio display with the camera so bad. Uh, <laughs> so Apple does make mistakes at times. This also brings up another thing that I'm very curious about because for the longest time, what happens when you're zooming with the phone is the iPhone will always do what it can to get the most amount of light. And so there are times when you will use the telephoto, the, the 3X or 2X on older models, and what the phone will actually do if there's a low light situation, it will use the 1X, which always has the better actual hardware sensor, and basically do a digital zoom, which is really frustrating because sometimes it can be a little bit soft, but the the trade-off is Apple would rather use something that collects more light than something that, that may be optically pure, I guess you could say. Pure. And so – yeah. <laughs> and so I do wonder if maybe it will – some of this sort of digital replacement might happen. Maybe not because the 2X zoom is all going to be just from the main wide camera, but you never know. And one of the things that we talked about uh, before we started recording is as far as we can tell, you're not going to see any sort of interface changes – the, the deal with this. The only thing is that 2X button when you know that you're using that that cropped-in mode. Right. Um, so I just want to quickly go over some of the other differences between the iPhone 13 Pro and 14 Pro and the iPhone 14 and 14 Pro. So the 14 only has two cameras. The 14 Pro has three. The 14 has sensor shift optical image stabilization. The 14 Pro has second generation sensor shift. So it's better. Um, the digital zoom on the 14 is only up to 5x. I didn't realize that. It's 15x on both the 13 Pro and the 14 Pro. It's a mm. big difference. 5x is not a lot. But then again, it doesn't have a telephoto camera. That's the thing. So yeah. it's not doing a digital zoom on the telephoto. It's doing a digital zoom on the main camera. Um, the 14 Pro has an adaptive true tone flash. I don't remember what they said about that. The color changes slightly depending on the, the lighting outside. I think that's what it was. I think so. It has more LEDs it has multiple LEDs, in the flash right. and then uses them at different patterns or something. Yeah, right. Um, both of the 14s have the photonic engine, which is that which is that oh. thing in the, the the USS Enterprise that goes in warp <laughs> speed or something. It's a fancy name for the computational photography that the iPhone does. I actually love Photonic Engine only because it's such an absurd <laughs> marketing name for something that no one has any control over. Yes. And basically, basically it's it's taking the deep fusion technology where you're you're snapping a bunch of different exposures and then it picks the best parts of each of those and it's moving it higher up in the workflow of processing an image. And Apple says that you're going to get uh, like better color fidelity and saturation and just better overall image quality because it's doing that stage with uncompressed images versus uh, normally where it would merge those things with compressed versions. And just to be clear, 
I'm not talking about it like actually making a whole bunch of different exposures. This is the the little tiny exposures that it makes in milliseconds and blends together to create a final image. Right. So the photonic engine, it's not like you can turn it on or off. It's just hopefully, and again, we'll see, you're just going to get better images because of this technological change. My guess is that the camera overall is going to be better. Yeah, definitely. But what's going to be better about it you know, we've talked about all the megapixels. We're talking about the this this pipeline stuff. It's also worth mentioning that the sensor is larger and the photo sites are larger, even with 48 megapixels. And so it's just going to collect more light. I'll link to an article from DP Review where I think, I think it's Richard Butler uh, who's been a guest on our show. He basically looked at some of the technology behind this and ultimately says – Yes, this is a cool thing, but the improvements we're going to get is because it can just collect more light. And that's yeah, and light is always good. <laughs> light is always good in photography. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to have our new Apple cameras about the time that people are listening to this episode on Friday. Yeah. Are you getting or anything else? I did order an Apple Watch Series 8. Uh, because I also I'm on, ordered a wrist computer because uh, yeah, my current one is a 6. You didn't get the uh, the Ultra? You know, I seriously thought about it. In fact, as soon as it went on sale, right after the presentation, I ordered one. Hmm. And then I started looking at the videos of people who were doing the hands-on. Now, I have a quite a wide wrist. You can see here that this is the, the, this is the Apple Watch 6. There's a lot of room for a wider watch. Yeah. But it just looks so high that it wouldn't be comfortable. Um, since I didn't order my watch right away... I wasn't able to get delivery on Friday, but I am able to get in-store pickup on Friday. So I'm getting them both on Friday, which will allow me to look at the Apple Watch Ultra and mm -hmm. place it on my wrist and see how massive it is. I like the idea. I'm not an adventurer or an extreme athlete, but I just yeah. like the fact that it's cooler and different. But on the other hand, it's a statement watch, right? And if you're walking around with that big, you know, ironwork on your Wrist, it's going to look a little bit weird. I'm going to say maybe 60% of the people who order Apple Watch Ultras are doing it because it's a statement. It's not because they're going to go climb the Himalayas or no, it's uh, bling. go deep diving. It, it, it's bling. And yeah, you know, I mean, that's that's totally okay. That is basically the watch market in a nutshell, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and so it, it it looks super cool. I I – I'm hoping that I can get Apple to send me a review one just because I'm updating my my take control of Apple Watch book and it would be nice to have some hands on uh, yeah. for that. That that may may or may not happen. Um but like you I have a, a Apple Watch Series 6 uh that's you know it's perfectly perfectly great and I try to stay up to date, you know, two two or three revolutions. Uh, well, last year was the first time I didn't get the new Apple Watch. In fact, I ordered one and mm. I sent it back because there's so little difference between the six and the seven. Um, there's not a lot of difference between the seven and the eight, but now I'm two years on and I figure time to move on and get something new. Yeah. Um, but if you have a seven, there's very little difference. Uh, if you have a six, you got a slightly larger display, but there's not a lot of difference feature wise. Yeah. Um, I will say I kind of think that orange band for the Ultra Watch is pretty cool. And, of course, they sell that separately. Um, and I might buy one of those. I have way too many Apple Watch bands. I don't think that, that the Ultra one will fit on your Series 8. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
the 40 so the original watches were 38 and 42 yeah. then they switched to 41 and 44, 44 and then they switched to 40 no they switched to 40 and 44 and then 41 and 45 and the ultra's 49 so the ultra fits the 45 44 and 41 oh. so the ultra is backwards compatible yeah Oh, and, and I, the band I even comes in three sizes. Separate. I'm looking right now. Um, it says um, compatibility, say, well, for the Ultra, they say they're also compatible with 44 and 45, but I've seen elsewhere that it's compatible with the 42, which was the first larger size. So, yes, oh. it will fit. And there are three sizes, small, medium, and large. What I don't understand is they didn't make an Ultra watch in a smaller size for women. And some of the photos I saw were women with small wrists and this thing looked like a, I don't know, like a steampunk thing. I would bet that is entirely because the stuff that they had to pack in there to do all of the, the features that it can do just could not fit in a smaller smaller. Yeah, container. particularly the battery. Yeah, the battery. And also I don't know what's required to, to seal it so that it can go down to yeah. I think 40 meters underwater. Like I think that that also plays a part. I will say it doesn't look as much like a tool as like a Casio G-Shock. Yeah, yeah. It It's sleeker. I like the idea of the bigger buttons, bigger display, brighter display. I think it's nice, but I'll see it in person. There's one more thing that I want to cover only because I know that some people will be looking at this. Going back to the phones and the cameras, uh, because this is a camera podcast, I wanted to talk about aperture really quick. Because uh, yes, yes, yeah. because so, there's so, a difference. Because the aperture here is a little bit bigger, and that one's a little bit smaller. And it's like you don't have a choice. You buy <laughs> the iPhone or not. It's not like you're going choosing between a 1.4 uh, and a and a 2.8 lens. You don't have a choice. It's either you get it or you don't. <laughs> That's pretty much just where I was going. Uh, the, <laughs> the short version is the iPhone 14 Pro, if you look at the, the comparison page, and we'll put a link to this in the show notes, uh, the apertures for the cam the main and the ultra-wide cameras are smaller than the apertures for the iPhone 13 Pro. And actually, the main aperture on the iPhone 14 is is a little bit better than the iPhone 14 Pro. And as photographers, you might look at that and think, oh, well, the iPhone 14 Pro, it's not going to let in enough light. And so what's going on here? Maybe I'm, I'm downgrading my cameras. And the answer to that is no, because the sensors are larger, these apertures just have to do with the fact that they're all fixed apertures because it's a phone and the distance between the lens and the sensor. And as you just pointed out, it doesn't matter you because a, that's just what matter. you get. <laughs> get over it. You, you can't geek out about things like that with a smartphone. It's not like, ooh, this 1.4 lens is so much better than the 2.0. It's like, dude, seriously. But but people We're not will a gear geek podcast, out about though, it. But I know people will. There will be complaints about it. There will be, yeah. you know, DP review forum threads with thousands of posts of people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> pixel peeping photos, doing test pattern photos to see which is better anyway. Yep. So do you have a snapshot? I do have a snapshot. Actually, this is a, an article that I saw this morning and uh, I found it at uh, Petapixel. And there is a a developer who – came up with a little interesting hack. Uh, he created an, some AI software that, uh, as it says here, it searches public camera feeds against Instagram posts to find the moment that a photo was taken. And so 
looking at all of the the uh, metadata and timestamps and all and location data, uh, basically he has this little video of you'll see an Instagram post and you've got somebody you know they're they're posing they're doing their thing and then uh, it's split with a security camera, then there are a whole bunch of just open access, uh, either security cameras or, uh, you know, webcams, et cetera, of the same moment. And it's a, it's like a little bit creepy because, uh, you feel like you're, you're spying on people, but it's also an interesting look at, you know, how this sort of metadata can be used to, you know, find somebody um, and also apparently um, one of the things that he mentions is when you see these these Instagram influencers and, you know, they're all people who are posing, trying to get this right shot with some cool background behind them, like how often they are posing to try to get the the, the nice shot. It's not just like, you know, oh, here I was and I'm just going to, you know, uh, yeah. kiss my fiance. It's like, oh, well, actually – it took 30 different attempts for this to work. And so, they've got assistance with um, reflectors and diffusers and yeah. Uh, I don't see any of those, but you definitely have, you know, other people yeah. um, making this happen. So yeah. it's it's also kind of punctures the lie that, oh, gosh, I just happened to wake up and look so fabulous. <laughs> and I, I went and I got myself a little avocado toast and just happened upon this fantastic <laughs> scene. It's like, oh, come on. Yeah. Anyway, link in the show notes. Um, I, I thought it, it, was, it was an interesting use of technology and just kind of – I don't know. Maybe I just like poking holes into the reality of influencers. Yeah. Yeah. What do you have this week? Well, I've got a proper photo thing this week. and <laughs> No, really. Photo. I, a actual photo thing. I've been doing some thinking recently about two things. One is it's it's one year since I got my midlife crisis camera. And right. I've been trying to figure out how to get more consistency in my images, in my edits, to have a more homogenous style in edits, right? Mm. And the second thing I've been thinking about is when we see black and white photos throughout the, the 20th century, there is a type of black and white photo that we see more often than others, right? There is... A, a film stock that is so widely used that it's the dominant film stock for a long time. It's Kodak Triexpan. Um, and so if we see black and white photos that look different, they look different to our subconscious. We don't notice it. Now, there are people who used um, Ilford, which made wonderful films. They used Fujifilm. And I think Agfa made some black and white film. But Triexpan is like the iconic, contrasty black and white film. So... I set out to find a style for Capture One that emulates Tri-X-Pan. Mm. Now, I didn't want to spend 100 bucks on a package of 800 styles and this and that. And I found one Tri-X-Pan style that comes in a, a number of varieties. Um, there is a 35 millimeter scan, a 120 scan. There is an extra grain. There is a digital version with no grain. And they're all at 25, 50, 75, and 100%. So the, the way we, we'll link to the episode about styles and presets in the show notes. You, you hover over the list of styles. You see it in Capture One, same thing in Lightroom. And I'd like you to go into the folder now and look. I put four photos in there. Um, I'd like you to look at the first two, the feet 
photos and, and select them both and do a quick look so you can go from one to the other. So I took two photos that I had previously edited, both from um, the feet photo was from a Fujifilm camera. And the second one we'll talk about is from the Leica. Mm-hmm. So this has styles for Tri-X 400 Classic, Tri-X 400 Neutral, then Tri-X 400 pushed to 800, 1600, 3200, and pulled to 200. Do you know what pushing and pulling is in film? I used to know. Okay, so if you want to push a 400 Tri-X to 800, you set the ASA or ISO on your camera to 800. You shoot as if it's an 800. You tell the processor you shot at 800, and they process it. It's like higher ISO right? Mm, okay. But you get more grain and contrast, which is an interesting look, but you have that, you know, that, that detrimental thing. You can pull by shooting 400 to 200, which gives you a different look. So you have all these, you have six options for each of these different things. Um, so I chose the basic one, the digital one. Now, if you look at the two of the feet, this is a photo. Um, one of my partner's granddaughters was here um, one day. She was sitting in this chair and she fell back And I said, don't move. And I ran in to get my camera because this was a perfect (laughs) shot. So if you flip between the two, my edit is interesting. But if you go to the one with the Tri-X style, it looks more film-like, doesn't it? Particularly if you look at the bottom of the chair and the rungs of the chair. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's also really put highlights in in a completely different way. In in the Tri-X, the the feet and the chair are just brighter than, than yours. Yeah, the the choice of the color channels is different, Yeah. right? Now, this is a color photo. So if you go to the next one, the Lions, this is something I shot with my Leica just last week. Um, if you look at my edit, I've put a kind of grotty high contrast, but the, the Tri-X version looks more smooth to me. And it looks in particular, again, more filmic. If you look at the front right, the Mm -hmm. the grass is darker and it gets lighter as it goes on. Whereas in my version, the grass is pretty even. And there's something about this that I really like. Um, I'm going to work with this style and try to keep my edits more consistent. I've gone through about 20 photos today um, using this style. Now you apply the style um, and then I changed the exposure and maybe adjusted a couple things like shadows and, and, and highlights and stuff. But it's a starting point. The biggest difference here in the style is there aren't a lot of adjustments in brightness, contrast, et cetera, but it's a curve that makes a big difference. I've never used curves. I don't, I mean, I don't understand how to use them efficiently. I use mm-hmm. levels, but not curves. And the curve is what gives it all the character. So, the one thing I did not want to do is buy a pack of a hundred styles and go through them all. And it's like, because I want to just do one and get it right and understand it. And I'm really happy with the results of this, of the way these photos are looking and they will have that consistency that you get that you had when you were shooting on film. Where did you get these from? This is from a company called Digistock. The style costs 10 pounds. Well, the set of Tri-X styles. So there's like five times six different versions. Mm -hmm. Um, and that to me seems a valid price for an experiment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There are other packs of styles that are 50 or or $100 for 600 plus uh, film styles. It's like, <laughs> it's just too much. Well, it, it reminds me of the old days when you wanted to buy an album because there were a couple of songs that you really liked and then the rest of the album is just garbage. But you had to buy <laughs> the entire album. It's kind of that way too. Like I do not need 200 
uh, LUTs and different styles for something. It's just, it's too much. Yeah. Well, I can understand that a wedding photographer is going to want a bunch of styles to develop certain looks according to what their client wants. Sure. Right. Sure. So you, and, and when you have a style, it makes it a lot easier when you're editing weddings or anything, events yeah. where you have a lot of photos to do. Um, but for me, I'm more interested in that consistency. And of course, I'm going for a monochrome camera, so the color channels don't change anything. In the first one with the feet, you do see the change in the color channels from the feet, from the grass, et cetera, that I had selected differently. Um, but for all the rest of them, it's just going to be that black and white monochrome that's curved and it's got a couple of other tweaks to it. So yeah. worth trying a single style with your photos and seeing if it makes them, if you want to develop consistency. Yeah. Of course, if you don't have a monochrome camera, you've got so much to choose from. Um, if you do have a Fujifilm camera, you've probably already used film simulations. And that's one way to maintain a certain consistency. Other cameras have their own versions of what they call them. Um, but I, it's an interesting way for me, particularly with the Leica, to move in a direction where there's more recognition across photos. That's one way that you sort of build your own personal style too. Yes. And it's that consistency that is a good thing to, to strive for. Okay. Till next time. Take care. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.